Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 20th Century Movie Club on the Dana Buckler Show. I am your host, Mike Scott. I am flying solo once again for this volume 33 of the 20th Century Movie Club. And as always, I can't do this show on my own, so I am pleased to welcome a very special guest. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little intimidated tonight because my guest is the host of one of my absolute favorite podcasts, and I am in awe of the level of research and effort he puts into every episode. I would be lying if I didn't say that he, along with Dana, were one of the big influences on my other podcast, Adkins Undisputed. So I am very pleased to welcome from the Neon Neon Badges podcast, Anthony King. Anthony, how are you tonight? I'm great, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. So before we get started, and I will definitely give you a chance to plug some stuff at the end of the show, but why don't you tell us a little bit about Neon Badges? Uh, well, it originally started, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe five years ago. I had a podcast called Homeschool Film School, uh, where I kind of did the similar thing, uh, where I told the making of story of different movies uh, from all different types of genres. Uh, but our very first episode was over 80s cop movies, and that just really stuck with me. And uh, I love uh, researching anything you know that was you know when i was in school that was kind of my favorite part of school these big research projects and just learning uh, as much as i could about a specific thing and uh throw that into my passion for cinema and uh you know it, it's it's a match made in heaven for me and uh i i think uh the reason i went kind of with uh, cop movies specifically is because uh, a lot of these movies have fascinating stories to them, uh, but it's also a you know kind of a niche uh, subgenre of the action uh, you know overarching uh, genre, and uh, the and these are the movies that I grew up on in the eighties. You know, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop type of stuff. Um, those are the movies that I watched constantly with my parents and with my grandma and, uh, you know, I just, uh, love watching them. Uh, but then I love learning about how they were made because, you know, especially in the eighties, it was a, you know, Coke fueled decade where, you know, anything goes basically. That is, I think, perhaps the most accurate way to describe the 80s, especially in Hollywood. Uh, it was, Yeah, I'm with you. It's the height of Simpson-Bruckheimer, right? Don Simpson by himself did enough cocaine to uh, kill an army of elephants. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a... That's one of the things I love most about your podcast is you really go deep on the, the making of these movies and, and everything that goes into them and how kind of a miracle it is that some of them turned out as well as they did. You know, I, in particular, I think about your cruising episode talking about, uh, you know, a story that I never knew that Pacino didn't believe in rehearsing and thought the only way you could get an authentic role is by just showing up and doing it, you know? And it's like, well, that actually explains a lot about a lot of Al Pacino performances. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that goes back to, you know, Marlon Brando. That's why Pacino uh, believes in that, because, you know, he got that from Brando. And, uh, you know, like like I say in the that episode, uh, you know, Friedkin says, he, he tells him it, it's when you come in and know your lines, you know, 
uh, front to back, that's when you can start breaking off and adding in your own bits. Uh, but, you know, Pacino and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure many actors disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So along those lines, as always on the 20th Century Movie Club, for those who this might be your first time, we always recommend movies from before the year 2000. Uh, myself and the guest, we each come up with three movies and one wild card in case we pick the same movies. And we always allow the guest to pick the theme. So, Anthony, somewhat falling in line uh, with uh, with what we know about you, what's your theme for tonight? We are going to talk about 80s cop movies. I love it. I love it. I love cop movies. As everybody knows, I'm a big action guy, so I love this theme. I got my three picks all lined up. So, Anthony, why don't you start us off? Tell us what your first pick is. All right. I am... uh, uh, what I find interesting about uh, cop movies, especially the '80s cop movies, is is that um, you have kind of your your smaller, independently made movies, and then you have your big budget stuff. And so I, I tried to kind of cover the gamut uh, in my three picks. So my first one is from 1980, uh, and it's called Cardiac Arrest, written and directed by a guy named Murray Mintz. Uh, and it stars Gary Goodrow and Michael Paul Chan. Uh, and you, you know, not by name, but you'd recognize these guys, character actors. Um, but uh, I first saw this on Amazon Prime years ago. Um, and it's unfortunately not there anymore. Um, but it's it's not going to be the greatest movie you've ever seen. Um but it's it's a fun kind of uh, proto horror, uh, you know, kind of a, a proto cop horror movie type of thing. Uh, but it follows uh, Goodrow, who who plays Detective Clancy Higgins, uh, a detective in the San Francisco PD, and it's a he's a very James Rockford or uh, Barney Miller type of character. Um, there's a lot of uh, silly kind of you know, later seventies type of, uh, goofiness, um, comedy, you know, for instance, uh, detective Higgins gets sick every time he sees a, a dead body. Um, and (laughs) that's a running joke through the whole thing. You know, how can you be a cop who can't stand looking at, you know, dead bodies? Um, and then the other thing is that he drives this beat up yellow, like 56 Dodge pickup truck everywhere. And, and, you know, I, in all the the driving scenes, the music playing overhead is kind of a, a Randy Newman type of you know piano and tuba and clarinet type of uh, music. Um, but the movie includes an early appearance by Fred Ward, you know, from Tremors. Uh, this is right after Escape from Alcatraz, and then right before Southern Comfort. Um, the dialogue, it's it's not great. Um, uh, let's see what's, oh, um, mince, uh, what I found fascinating is now there's not enough research. I I can't do enough research to, you know, 
tell a whole podcast story about cardiac arrest. But it is really interesting. I first heard of Murray Mintz from this San Francisco Chronicle article about this guy that was profiling uh, this young man back in the 40s and 50s who would film the San Francisco Giants. Uh, oh, I guess it'd be the 50s and 60s. Uh, the San Francisco Giants game footage for the team to then review, you know, the, that night or maybe the, the next day during uh, pregame. Uh, it turned out this guy was Murray Mintz. And I thought, cardiac arrest. Okay, that I want to check that out. And so I ended up finding it on Amazon Prime a few years ago um, and loved the movie. Like I said, it's not great, uh, but it is it's super fun because it's, you know, it's 1980, uh, which means basically it's a seventies movie. It came out in 1980. It's a seventies movie. You know how, how kind of like 85 or, you know, the, the five in each decade, that's going to be the, the dividing point. Any movie that comes out in a decade, you know, uh, from the zero to the four is going to feel like a previous decade type of movie. Uh, this is definitely a 70s movie. Um, but, you know, a, a real real quick plot synopsis. Uh, somebody is killing people and taking out their hearts and selling them on the black market. Good Rose, the detective that has to uh, figure out the case. And I will say blow darts uh, become involved. In 33 volumes, Anthony, I have to tip my hat to you. Not only recommended a movie I haven't seen, but this is the first time ever that somebody has recommended a movie I haven't even heard of, which I cannot tell you how giddy that makes me because I am usually the one recommending the movies that people are like, huh, really? So, uh, so I love this. I have already added this to my watch list because I'm just looking at the poster on IMDb and, and for those who can't see it, it's basically looks like a doctor holding a heart. It, it looks absolutely up my alley. So I definitely need to, to check this one out, but I will admit up until five minutes ago, I had not heard of this movie and I'm willing to bet a lot of other people hadn't. So I'm glad you recommended this because this sounds like something that more people need to get eyes on. Well, the the it, it is streaming for free on Tubi TV, you know, with ads and, you know, with the the, the ad based streaming services. Tubi is by far the best because they have the, the fewest commercials. Uh, but going back to that poster real quick, I uh, I have I have an out of print DVD here and I love the, the tagline. It says medical science needs donors, dead ones. And I remember I had posted on Twitter that I had just gotten this in the mail and Christopher Funderburg from uh, The Pink Smoke, he's like, boy, that tagline really stinks, doesn't it? And I, I thought, why? And he said, uh, well, aren't all donors, organ donors going to be dead ones? <laughs> yeah, I still think it's a pretty great tagline. So I, I, I'm going to. I'm going to it wouldn't be the first time I disagreed with uh, with Christopher. It certainly won't be the last. So I uh, I think it's a pretty great tagline. I, I love this one. Anything you want to add about it? Uh, no, it's just it's really fun. Um, good row. I really love good row. I uh, my wife and I just watched Dirty Dancing the other night. And if anybody, uh, you know, is as big a fan of Dirty Dancing as I am, uh, which is funny to talk about in an 80s cop uh, podcast, but uh, Good Row 
plays the old cougar's husband who who's always away she's sleeping with patrick swayze you see she's sleep sleeping around uh but he plays the husband who has one line in the movie and we're watching that and i thought oh my gosh that's uh, he's from cardiac arrest that's crazy that's awesome i love it when when those connections kind of get made uh that's hilarious Well, I am going to, unfortunately, I think, be a little bit more basic in my recommendations uh, because I do not have the depth or breadth of your knowledge. Uh, But I am going to go with one that several people didn't think would actually ever end up on the 20th Century Movie Club list because it is loved and hated by many. I happen to love it in spite of all its zaniness and weirdness and complete tonal inconsistency. Uh, It came up a little bit in our Rambo retrospective. We talked about it for just a few minutes, but now's my chance to officially put it on the recommendation list, and that is the 1986 Sylvester Stallone cop horror action everything under the sun movie cobra um i uh i absolutely love cobra it was one of the first stallone movies i actually saw in the theater when i was a kid and it's always stuck to me ever since the more you learn about the behind the scenes the more kind of crazy it is to me that we even got a movie that is as borderline coherent as cobra actually turns out to be Uh, For those who don't know, it is about the toughest cop in the LAPD, the Cobra, uh, short for Lieutenant Marion Cobretti, played by Stallone, and his partner, uh, played by, uh, excuse me, played by Dirty Harry's Rennie Santoni, they work for what's known as the Zombie Squad. They take the cases nobody wants, uh, and if anybody remembers the great trailer, Crime is the Disease, He's the Cure, uh, they end up trying to track down a serial killer called the Night Slasher, who turns out to be not just one person, but actually a cult that is dedicated to something, uh, and it's going to involve Stallone uh, shooting a bunch of people, which is what we really want out of it. Anthony, I know you have to have seen Cobra. Oh yeah, I have the uh, the Blu-ray from Scream Factory. I haven't even opened it yet, but I've I've watched it before. Uh, love this movie. I I love Stallone. Um, I loved the uh, the um, uh, Rambo retrospective you and Dana did. Um, and you know th- there was the relationship between Cosmatos and and uh, Stallone is odd because you know stallone basically just does his own thing and takes over the directing duties basically you know on this on take and cash uh it's really interesting but god this is such this is another uh yeah it's kind of a, a an action horror movie uh cop movie um those you know those tend to be kind of my favorite ones of the 80s uh because they just they kind of go all out, you know, especially with this being a Golan and Globus uh, picture, uh, you know, it's, it's exploitation. It's eighties exploitation at its finest. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, everything about it is just designed for, 
I mean, you can tell this is even more than a lot of his other movies. This is a, a complete and utter vanity project for Stallone. You know, from the opening credits where he's reading all the stats as it zooms in on his his you know Cobra handled gun and 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 the way he's introduced in the movie and everything. But I I can't help but love it anyway because he does cut such a badass presence in this movie. And it does kind of feel to me a little bit like sort of the logical extension of the Dirty Harry movies. You know, it's carrying those in a far more exploitative path. Uh, although I would argue that Sudden Impact is actually just as exploitative as this one, if not more so. That's um, pretty you know, and it never ceases to blow my mind that this was originally supposed to be Beverly Hills Cop. You know, that, that he was originally supposed to star in Beverly Hills Cop and he wanted to make it more serious, less comedic. They went a different direction and so he took those ideas and basically turned it into Cobra. It's just absolutely fascinating to me. It's such a thing that only Stallone would try and pull off, you know? Um have you ever seen the mythical work print that's supposedly the much more violent cut? I have never been able to get my hands on it. Uh, no, it is, is, you know, if it's not a, it's, if, it's, if it's not one of the extras on the Scream Factory Blue, then no, I have, I haven't, nor probably will I. Yeah, I know for a while it was making it was making its way sort of around the convention circuit in bootlegs, but it seems to have kind of disappeared off the radar in the last ten years. You can find you can find write ups of it online of like what the changes are and what's different in the work print and how much more violent it is and stuff. Uh, but I've I've never been able to see it. Uh, if anybody has a line on it, I'd love to see it. Uh, also, for those who don't know, it was also based on a novel called Fair Game by Paula Gosling, which was also turned into a movie that I do feel confident saying, at least I will not recommend on the 20th Century Movie Club, Fair Game with William Baldwin and Cindy Crawford. Anthony, I'm assuming you've seen Fair Game. Uh, you know, I haven't because I've never wanted to. I've never felt like, oh, this is a movie I need to see. Stick with Cobra. Stick with Cobra. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything you want to add about Cobra? Uh, just, you know, uh, everybody's favorite part of Cobra, how he cuts his pizza with scissors, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. It is a, uh, it is a, uh, a thing. It is a thing. And it is a thing that, uh, people will always remember to the point now that you know you can actually buy pizza scissors and i'm sure the makers of pizza scissors will say they weren't influenced by cobra and i would call them dirty dirty liars if they said that <laughs> all right mr king tell us what your next pick is all right well we're gonna stick with the horror genre if that's okay uh but we're gonna uh mix in some italian flavoring uh from 1982 i'm talking about lucio fulci's the new york ripper uh which most people don't you know when when you think of the new york ripper it's not it's not uh a cop movie you think of first it's you know it's a it's a late period giallo um or you know a slasher movie um either way it's 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 a trashed piece 
Uh, it's dirty, dirty, dirty as hell. Uh, star, uh, like I said, directed by Lucio Fulci, um, starring Jack Headley. Um, you know, the it, if people haven't seen it, and I wouldn't blame you uh, if you've never seen it, uh, but it's about someone who's brutally killing women in New York City, and then this cop, played by Jack Headley, and a psychiatrist have to go hunt for this killer. Uh, but the thing is, the killer likes to call the cops and taunt them on the phone uh, by talking like a duck. And uh, it's the most ridiculous thing you'll, you'll ever see. Um, and I'm still not in. I just watched this the other night. I'm still not 100% sure uh, of the M.O. of the killer because it comes from like way out in left field at the very end of the movie. And they take all of like 15 seconds to explain this this uh, elaborate psychological plot uh, at the very, very end of the movie. And, you know, it, you'd have to rewind and watch that, you know, that 15 cent uh, second snippet for, you know, 10 times just to try to get a grasp on why was this guy killing these women? Uh, it, you know, but that's Italy for you. Um, <laughs> and and that's in particularly that is Fulci for you because Fulci yeah, going to exactly. Fulci. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the like I said, this is about as trashy as it gets and you know it's no secret lucio fulci um did he hate women uh, according to his movies yes he did um but uh you know so headley plays uh, lieutenant fred williams you know one of the most american names you could ever think of one of the most generic american names um he's kind of a jerry orbach um uh more from actually Jerry Orbach, Dirty Dancing, the serious type or Albert Finney type of cop. And he, he looks so damn annoyed the entire movie that he has to be in this picture. Um, but, you know, it, it shot, you know, half in New York. The exteriors are all shot in New York, in Manhattan. And then the rest is shot in Italy, you know, in studio on sound stages out there. Um, and like most of these uh, Italian pictures, it was shot MOS. Uh, without sound, and then they just go in and they they dub all the voices, and then they they do foley for all the you know footfalls, and I mean every every sound is is dubbed. Um, and if you're not used to watching you know old spaghetti westerns or or uh, Italian or Spanish movies um, of this period, it it takes a minute to get used to, um, but. I personally, I love this era of New York City, uh, where it, the city, you know, from like 72 to about 82 is what they called uh, fun city is what they referred to as uh, New York City as. And, you know, it was dirty, grimy uh, drugs. You know, I mean, there's, you know, the the sidewalks were littered with needles and. Um, and yeah, that's right. I loved this period of New York uh, <laughs> on film. Uh, the music is great, as is usually the case in these old Italian, in these '80s Italian movies. Um, uh, the you know. The cinematographer had shot Morrissey's, Paul Morrissey's Frankenstein and Dracula. He did Deep Red. So it's beautiful Italian photography. The lighting is absolutely gorgeous. Um, but don't get me wrong. This is not a pleasant movie uh, by any means. The kills are 
are just horrific. Uh, you know, one woman uh, is stabbed in her vagina uh, with a broken whiskey bottle. You know, if if that kind of tells you uh, the road that we're on in this movie. Um, it's not often that I want to watch movies like this, but, uh, you know, we have to send blessings to Bill Lustig for uh, his love of this type of stuff and putting it out in beautiful 4K, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, I've I've seen that 4K print and it's or that 4K uh, disc and it's it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, and it's actually funny that you mentioned the whole you love that period of New York and and I do too, at least in movies, because what I love about it is I hate to use this cliche. I, I just detest this cliche of the city is almost a character itself. And I don't really want to say that, but what I do feel like is you've got an early 70s to mid-80s sort of New York MCU, where it's really easy to sort of imagine that the French Connection and the 7-Ups and Bill Lustig's Maniac and New York Ripper, that they all actually do take place in the same city, that, that it feels like the same place that's just this really god-awful hellhole where all these things are all going on at the same time or sort of one right after another. And I, I really do love that. Um, so I have been pretty upfront. I'm not the biggest Fulci guy. I have tried, uh, you know, our friend Patrick Bromley loves his Fulci. I have tried my friend Daniel Epler loves his Fulci. I keep trying for all of them, and I have a hard time getting on Fulci's wavelength. What is weird is that I actually enjoy this one probably the most out of all the Fulci movies I've seen. I hesitate to think of what that says about me as a person, but nonetheless, I I I kind of enjoy this one because you're right. The the violence is graphic, but it's also so over the top that it's almost hard to take it seriously and the quacking killer, you know, there's definitely for a movie that's filled with such terrible misogyny and sleaze and and gross stuff you really do almost feel like Fulci's just behind the camera winking the whole time at how much oh look at the how much I can get away with on this movie you know and uh and so for me I kind of I kind of liked it and it's it doesn't have you know Bob from uh one of his other movies that just drives me nuts so like I like this recommendation because this is actually the Fulci movie that I kind of like the most, even though I wouldn't say it's necessarily for me. I've seen it once. I doubt I will ever revisit it. <laughs> um, but also, I like it because other than Suspiria, we have a real lack of Italian horror and exploitation on this list, which is such a huge part of 70s cinema. And I part of the reason for that is I'm not, I'm by far and away not the best, most knowledgeable Italian cinema guy. I mean, I recommended Suspiria, probably recommend Tenebrae at some point, but that's pretty much kind of where I tap out on my knowledge. So I'm really glad you brought this one and, and recommended it because I do think we need more sort of Italian cinema on on the list. And certainly, you know, whichever movie of his was recommended, I think Fulci should be on the list. But I will say, and, and I think you've done a good job of this, Anthony, as well. Go into this one knowing what you're getting into. Uh, <laughs> this is a, 
it's not a movie for everybody by any means. No, and and I, I will say, uh, you know, Fulci, you know, in in our you know kind of Twitter verse uh, that you and I float around in, you know, he, he's more of the horror guy, but he made some fabulous westerns in the '60s and '70s um, that I would recommend, and uh, you know, I I would venture a guess, uh, Michael, that maybe you prefer New York Ripper out of the Fulci that you have seen, maybe because of the uh, detective crime aspect. And and because of that, I would lead you to uh, the movie he did uh, maybe right before this or, or nearby. It came out in 1980. It's called Contraband. Um, and, and it's just an Italian crime movie. And it's great it is so good um and it's it's on amazon prime contraband is on prime and i would recommend that fulci to you um and also for for the listeners uh you know if you dare new york ripper is on tubi and pluto tv yeah i've heard of contraband i just haven't gotten around to watching it so that's one that i think i definitely will will check out out of all of his. I also forgot that I've, I've also seen, you mentioned his Westerns. I've seen four for the apocalypse, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. I, I thought that was a solid spaghetti Western. Yeah, for sure. All right. Love that pick. So I am going to uh, move on to my next pick. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about sort of the early eighties, maybe starting the late seventies, but, but really through the early to mid eighties is this sort of technology was changing so fast and there were a lot of movies that were really sort of obsessed with the way military technology could be used and and what new military technology would look like, you know, from something like war games where we're, we're, we've got this whole like concept of what is AI actually going to do in a nuclear arms race to something as ridiculous as Megaforce, where it's really just an excuse for them to show off cool missile shooting motorcycles. The one that has always resonated the most with me and the one that I've always liked the most, and I think the one that is the most resonant in 2020 as far as its use of military technology as applied to the police and what would happen if the police had military technology is from 1983, written by Dan O'Bannon, directed by John Batham. Uh, it is Blue Thunder. For those who haven't seen Blue Thunder, Roy Scheider plays Frank Murphy, uh, an LAPD pilot in the air support division. He's a helicopter pilot and a vet with PTSD. He gets a new partner played by Daniel Stern, and they basically just patrol Los Angeles at night. But they are made aware of the department essentially getting on loan a military-style helicopter called Blue Thunder. Ultimately, it's essentially an, an Apache as, as what we know helicopters to be now. It looks a little different, but it's the same concept. It's got infrared detectors, microphones, all sorts of stuff. It's all 80s dated, like there's a VCR in it. But nonetheless, it is a full-blown military weapon that is given to the LAPD. And over the course of the movie, without getting into too many spoilers, Murphy uncovers a conspiracy 
that is ultimately going to involve him having to use Blue Thunder in what I think is one of the best aerial climaxes that has ever been filmed in cinema history. Uh, the are there are actual helicopters actually chasing one another through Los Angeles, and it is stunning. Anthony, I'm betting you've seen Blue Thunder. Love this movie. Um, was uh, John Badham? Was he on uh, Mick Garris's podcast Postmortem? I think it was. Um, I think it was Mick's podcast. But um, and and they talk about this. Uh, to a pretty extensive level for it being a horror podcast. Um, but it, it, the, the production history on this, uh, count on it. I will be covering this on neon badges at some point, um, is just f- phenomenally, um, inspiring, you know, these guys. And like you said, they're using actual aircraft, uh, to make this movie and breaking God knows how many, you know, uh, laws about, uh, air traffic. And I mean, just the, the risks they take, uh, and you know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar equipment here. And, and so many lives could be lost and they're like, you know, ah, fuck it. We're going out. We're going to make this cool movie. Yeah. And, and what I love about it is it is just an ass kicking, awesome action movie. But it actually has stuff to say. And again, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I feel like it is one of those early 80s movies that kind of almost gets more resonant with time. Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, kind of showing, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But, you know, you've got... You've got a line, Scheider's got a line in there where he basically says, with an army of these helicopters, you know, you could run the whole damn country. Uh, and it's just, it's a really effective movie. And I, I think it's interesting. You mentioned they talked about it on postmortem for so long, because again, like most of the movies we've already recommended, I could make a case that this is a horror movie as well. Now it's certainly not a slasher movie or anything like that, but I could make a case that this is just as upsetting, psychologically disturbing and, horrifying as damn near any movie that came out in 1983. The only difference is we do get Scheider in Blue Thunder doing all sorts of cool shit. Uh, And that gives us, I think, a catharsis that a lot of times we don't necessarily get from horror movies. And that's what makes it more of an action movie. But I think it's pretty damn terrifying, especially looking back on it in 2020. For sure. And, you know, uh, you know, a few people have said to me, you know, um, do you think now's the right time to be doing a, you know, a podcast on cop movies? And and I mean, my simple argument is that uh, I'm just talking about movies. You know, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I would, you know, say I'm not on the uh, police side of things, uh, you know, to, to put it mildly. Um, but. I grew up on these movies and I love these movies. And then you have guys like Dan O'Bannon writing blue thunder and, you know, look at everything that he's written. He's always been 10, 20 years ahead of, uh, you know, the curve of kind of the national mentality on whatever topic he's writing about. And, and that, that comes from his, his brilliance. Um, and, 
I completely agree with you that Blue Thunder is, uh, you know, I just watched it, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And it feels more prescient now than it probably did, you know, in the early 80s. Yeah, I mean, in the early 80s, it almost kind of seemed like the helicopter was too ridiculous, you know, and now we've gone so far beyond that. Um, and, and I did just want to comment for people listening who haven't listened to Anthony's podcast, um, you know, is now the right time for a, a cop podcast? You're right. A, all you do as a, as a devoted listener, all you do is talk about the movies and how they're made. But B, also, yeah, just give it one episode. You'll, you'll see. You'll see it's a podcast that is worth it. Because regardless of what's going on and, and how political you do or don't want to get, and we try and avoid it as much as possible on this show, uh, people that follow me know where I tend to stand on things. Uh, but you also know what I do for a living. So um, cop shows, cop movies have done so much to influence our perception of police and why we do or don't like them that it's important to understand these movies anyway. You know, it's it's I think these are hugely, especially in the 70s and 80s, these are hugely influential pieces of cinema. And uh, and so it's very important that, that somebody's talking about them. So please, you know, I'm going to plug this again at the end of the show, but please give Anthony's show a listen. It, it's really, really terrific. Anything you want to add about Blue Thunder, Anthony? Um, two things. Daniel Stern as the rookie partner of and, and that's the other thing with. Uh, cop movies of especially the 80s again there is a formula um where it's usually either have um a burnout cop um paired with you know a rookie or somebody who is you know it, it, it turns out to be a buddy cop movie but they're total opposites or you have the lone wolf cop here um it kind of mixes both uh not not getting into spoiler territory uh but but you know you have the buddy cops between scheider uh the burnt out veteran and then daniel stern a young daniel stern as the rookie cop and he's really fun uh but uh, warren oates as the boss you know as the the captain of the whole squad uh i you know warren is probably top five in my you know in my top five favorite actors um love him in everything he does and he's he's great in this i love seeing warren oates especially you know kind of this uh uh i I don't want to say later period but you know i mean he didn't live too much long after this i don't think yeah this was was his last movie yep he actually died before the film was released he died during post-production Exactly. So, you know, late period Warren Oates, um, you know, he is such a likable actor, even if, you know, maybe the words coming out of his mouth on screen um, aren't the kindest. Uh, But he is, you know, he's such an enigmatic, very charismatic, um, you know, just a lovable presence on screen. And I love everything he's in. Yeah, I'd also be remiss not to mention how terrific Malcolm McDowell is in this. Uh, he's he's also, uh, as I guess, again, without getting into too many spoilers, let's just say he's an antagonist for Scheider, and he's he's absolutely terrific. And, 
you know, folks, you also know what Dana and I think of Roy Scheider. We've recommended several Roy Scheider movies on this podcast already. So certainly it goes without saying that he is also fantastic in this as well. Absolutely. All right, Anthony, why don't you take us into the home stretch? What is your third and final pick? Okay, so like I mentioned earlier, uh, I was trying to cover the gamut of, you know, the 80s cops. So we're in Italy for one. Uh, Both the movies uh, are early 80s that I've done so far. Uh, And so we're going to the very tail end of the 80s, 1989, uh, with Ridley Scott's Black Rain. Uh, you know, starring Michael Douglas, Andy Garcia, Ten uh, Takakura, um, and uh, written by Craig uh, Bolatine. Uh, but Douglas plays Nick Conklin, a cop that, uh, you know, he's the, I don't want to call him a lone wolf, uh, but he plays by his own rules. Um, and so he and his partner, they're witnesses to a... Uh, Yakuza murder in New York City. They chase the guy, arrest him, and then they have to escort him to back to Japan, to Osaka. And uh, I wanted to go with, you know, kind of a big budget uh, 80s cop movie. There's, you know, there's a bunch of kind of obvious ones. Uh, and I think this is one that a lot of people sleep on. Maybe people don't like it. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Um, I love this movie, uh, but uh, it's produced by Stan Jaffe and Sherry Lansing, and then it was it was put out by Paramount. So we're we're talking big budget here. You know, you have your cocksure cop, and then it 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 turns out to be a fish out of water story with him uh, then going to Osaka, and this is beautifully photographed by Jan de Bont. Uh, in both New York City and then in Japan, in Osaka, Japan, uh, you know, in New York, uh, w- after they witness the the murder, there's a great chase, a foot chase through the meatpacking district where they finally catch the guy. And then, you know, when they're in Osaka, there is beautiful shots of like the wet streets and the neon lights bouncing off everything. It is so gorgeous. Uh, it's a movie that you, you would want to live in. I'm telling you. Um, and I mean, just the cast alone. So you have Douglas Garcia, Ken Takakura is the cop in Japan who they work with. Uh, and then Kate Capshaw shows up for a bit. Uh, you have John Spencer as, uh, again, probably a name you don't recognize, but you, you definitely know the guy. He is Douglas and Garcia's boss back in New York. Uh, you have, um, Luis Guzman shows up for a quick second. Steven Root and Richard Reel from, uh, office space are in it for a minute. Uh, the cast is great. Um, the action is so great. Uh, I will say you will witness a beheading in this movie. Uh, there's a great fight scene at the end uh, where uh, our our protagonist and antagonist are fighting in the mud. Um, and it, it's so funny because on this time I, I noticed uh, they're, they're shooting the fight scene and some mud splatters up on the camera and i could just and it wasn't it didn't look great i'll I'll tell you that and i can just imagine uh either debont or scott saying fuck it keep going this is great they're doing great just leave it there 
Um, but the production history, again, this this will probably be a movie that I covered down the road. Uh, it's fascinating. They started shooting in Japan, in Osaka, but there was so much red tape for the government that all these hoops they had to jump through that Scott was finally like, you know what, screw this, we're leaving, we're going to go back to California and finish shooting this. And so a lot of the interiors in the Japan sequences are actually shot on sound stages in, you know, on the Paramount lot probably. Um, and then uh, very tragic, the the guy, his name is uh, Yusaku Matsuda, who plays uh, Sato, the uh, antagonist of the film, uh, ended up dying right after production from bladder cancer. And it's very, very tragic. And so Ridley Scott uh, dedicates the movie to him. Um, but it is, you know, when you think of 80s cop movies, this is going to be one of them that you think of. It has that look. It absolutely does. It, it is, I don't know, it might be the best looking Ridley Scott movie of all of them. It is just absolutely stunningly well shot and well uh, composed. Uh, also has uh, the first collaboration between, if I'm not mistaken, first collaboration between Hans Zimmer and Ridley Scott, which would go yes. on to become a very fruitful partnership. This is actually still one of my all-time favorite Zimmer scores. Uh, as I joked in an early in a few episodes ago, this was back when Zimmer actually wanted to make music and wasn't just interested in you know hitting the bah note over and over again in Nolan movies. Um, you mentioned a couple of the actors. You mentioned Ken Takakura, also one of my faves. He was in a great Robert Mitchum movie uh, called The Yakuza the, from the 70s. And it also, I have to shout out, as fans know, I'm a big Asian film fan. Uh, Tomisaburo Wakiyama, a.k.a. The Lone Wolf from the Lone Wolf and Cub series, uh, shows up in this as well. So there's a lot of good actors in this, both from the U.S. and Japan it's been years. I'll be honest. It's been years since I've seen this, but it's one of those movies that you see it once and so much of it, at least visually and sonically just sticks with you because it's, it's really like you mentioned, just a terrifically beautiful movie. And it's Michael Douglas definitely playing in his wheelhouse. You know, this is just a couple years before basic instinct and he's this is when he's really starting to sort of cultivate that that role, that character that that served him so well in in sort of his 40s, um, because, yeah, Nick is is not the necessarily. Well, he's certainly not the uh, cleanest, most uh, policy oriented cop. Let's just put him that way. Um, but he is uh, he's terrific in it and he plays off Garcia very well. Uh, I love this recommendation. This is one of those movies that I almost kind of feel like could only have been made in 1989. It, it needed so many things to come together. Uh, the way movies were shot in the late 80s, uh, people like Jan DeBont really coming up and, and really asserting themselves on cinematography. Uh, you know, Hans Zimmer, Michael Douglas getting his kind of big post-fatal attraction career resurgence. There's a lot of stuff that had to come together for this to work, but it all does, and I think it does. I think it's a great recommendation, Anthony. Anything you want to add? 
Well, think about Douglas's. Uh, he's he has a, a pretty terrific uh, three movie run here: Fatal Attraction and Wall Street, nineteen eighty seven, and then two years later in nineteen eighty nine, Black Rain, um, and then you know the same year, War of the Roses. Uh, but yeah, this is kind of when he. This is when. Uh, um, uh, oh, what's what's the podcast? Uh, they do like '90s thrillers. Oh, but they they their points systems where you know how they grade movies. They call them Douglases <laughs> because he was you know he was in so many of those uh, '90s thrillers. And this is like you said, this is right in his wheelhouse. He's getting ramped up. This is like when you think of Michael Douglas, this is who you think of. This is the Michael Douglas you think of. And uh, Andy Garcia, he's super fun in it. Um, but it, it is, this is, you know, I remember seeing this, you know, when I was maybe, oh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, and this is one of those movies, just the look of it stuck with me. And when I came back to it, you know, maybe 30, you know, probably 25, 30 years later, this was exactly how I remembered it looking and how I, you know, and, and it's because of that look, that specific look of movie gives me a certain feeling, uh, whether it's a nostalgic, I don't think it's a nostalgic feeling for me. It's, it's some sort of warmth that I feel in a lot of these 80, 80s cop movies. Um, because you know, I, it's just a very specific era because when you say 80s cop movie, everybody kind of conjures up the same image. Everybody knows what that means. Right. I mean, they, you know, if we were, if we were not just dedicated to movies, I know for me, the first thing I think of when people say 80s cop movies or that is Miami Vice, right? That, that just that look that Michael Mann had for Miami Vice. Um, and, and yeah, I would say with Black Rain, especially, you know, just even thinking of that poster, right, with Michael Douglas on the motorcycle, the leather jacket, wearing the sunglasses, but the sort of purple and and blue neon lit rainy street behind him. I mean, that poster so perfectly captures the look of that movie. It's ridiculous. I, you know, if, if folks, if you're on the fence about watching the movie, just look up the poster. And if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what will, because that is what the movie looks like, is that poster. Exactly. Yeah. And it right now, currently it's on Prime. It's it has been on Prime for, I mean, as, as long as I can remember, two, three years. So it's you'll be able to find it on Amazon Prime. Uh, but definitely, I definitely recommend this movie. It's got um, everything, you know, besides a steamy sex scene uh, that a lot of these 80s movies usually incorporate and for me personally like i don't need an 80s uh, i don't need a steamy sex scene in this movie because it, it, it totally would have ruined it for me so i love it how it is yeah i i agree completely it would have actually felt gratuitous which it did in a lot of those movies but uh it would have i feel like felt especially gratuitous in this one all right, I am going to move on to my third and final pick. Take us all the way home. And so, Anthony, you brought us to Italy. 
uh, for one of your recommendations. I am going to take us even farther away. I am going to take us all the way to essentially the other side of the world, to Hong Kong in 1985. (laughs) And I am going to recommend what I think is one of the best and possibly my favorite uh, 80s cop movies uh, because I don't really consider most John Woo movies to be cop movies. They're more like triad movies and and hard-boiled came out in the 90s. So instead, I'm going to go with uh, another Hong Kong legend, and I am going to recommend the Jackie Chan starring, Jackie Chan directed, Jackie Chan stunt coordinated, Jackie Chan written, Jackie Chan masterpiece, Police Story. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, Jackie stars as, uh, depending on which version you watch, Kevin Chan or Chan Kakui, a uh, Hong Kong police officer. He co-stars with Bridget Lin and Maggie, Maggie Chung, who are both just absolutely fantastic Hong Kong actresses and are fantastic in this movie. Uh, it involves his his day-to-day dealings as a police officer as he is trying to take down a major crime lord. What it really involves is Jackie Chan doing the most crazy Jackie Chan shit that he has arguably ever done. This might be the pinnacle, the the archetype of a Jackie Chan movie. So much to the point that a lot of the stunts will seem second nature to, to people who haven't seen it because they've seen them copied only copied much worse uh, than they're done in here. Uh, For instance, the opening chase scene is a two vehicles crashing downhill through a shantytown. What a shock. We saw Michael Bay do that in Bad Boys 2. Jackie stops a truck uh, and two guys go flying through the windows. We saw that in a movie I just recommended uh, in a previous episode, Tango and Cash. Uh, Rapid Fire, one of my favorite 90s action movies and absolutely my favorite Brandon Lee movie borrows liberally from the stunts in this one. None of that detracts from the fact that this is still a fantastic time. Now, it is a Hong Kong movie, which means it's tonally all over the place and some of the comedy might not work for everybody, but it doesn't matter because you're never very far away from some amazing fight scene or some amazing stunt. And the finale, which has to have the single largest budget for broken glass of any movie ever filmed, is something that just has to be seen to be believed. Anthony, I know you've seen Police Story. Oh, love this. Love this movie. This is a 10 out of 10, you know, five-star letterbox. Um, one of my all-time favorites uh, that I could watch over and over again because, I mean... I don't know anyone uh, who doesn't like Jackie Chan. He's such a charming guy. He's charming here. He's, you know, he's, you know, we Americans know him, you know, kind of as the kid-friendly actor now. Uh, And he's just as charming there. Uh, Here, he is so damn funny, and he is, you know, just the most athletic person uh, I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, the... I remember the first Jackie Chan movie I ever saw was Rumble in the Bronx. And at the end of, you know, all, most of his movies, they always do the, you know, the the bloopers from the stunt uh, reels. And this, I remember my wife came in at the end um, and watched, you know, the, the, the final scene in the mall there. 
and then sa- I told her, you got to sit here and watch for the credits and you're going to be amazed because you know what? They're actually doing all of these things. He's falling this, you know, this far down, he's crashing through glass and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's, it's the most amazing thing. Uh, but I mean that opening, uh, uh, scene <laughs> with the cars crashing through the shanty town is one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen in my life. And it that's not even like the end of that. What's amazing about that is that's not even the end of the chase scene or the stunts for that opening, right? Like that's that's literally, you know, Bay ends ends Bad Boys 2 with that. Jackie starts the movie with that. Like that that just tells you where this movie's gonna go. It, it's it's one that uh, I really think if people haven't seen it, you know, I understood for a long time people might not have seen it because being a a Hong Kong and Asian cinema fan, you know, I know how hard some of these movies are to track down. And then Eureka put it out in the UK and then Criterion put it out here. And there is absolutely no reason not to watch this movie. Now, if you haven't seen it, it's readily available everywhere as I'll talk about later uh, in a few minutes. But yes, this is one that I think everybody needs to see. If you're sort of, knowledge of Jackie Chan is yeah some of his later work which a lot of his work in the last 10 years is to be honest not great uh and you're wondering why when rush hour came out we all cared so much that that it was you know that Jackie Chan was in a major hollywood movie watch this movie you'll see why because he has done more to certainly make Hong Kong cinema a pivotal, influential part of my entire life. Literally, it's in my cinematic DNA at this point. And, uh, and you know, just one of the biggest actors and movie stars in the world. This is a movie that everybody needs to see, uh, preferably more than once, because you're always going to be blown away by some little thing that he does in every one of his movies. To 100% agree. All right. Anything you want to add about Police Story, Anthony? Nope. All right. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our recommendations. And as always, we like to let you all know where you can watch these things. Anthony mentioned them throughout his his uh, recommendations. I'm just going to have them recap for you really quick, too. But we always use the Just Watch app and website. It is not a sponsor, but as always, we would not complain if they wanted to throw us a few bucks. But it is the most accurate website we've found for letting you know where stuff is streaming. As always, this is accurate at the time of recording, but if you're listening to this episode down the road, just make sure to double-check Just Watch as streaming services, much to many people's annoyances, are always gaining and losing movies. So, Anthony, if you'd just recap really quick where people can see your three recommendations. You betcha. Um... Uh, my first movie, Cardiac Arrest from 1980, you can see on uh, Tubi TV, you can see on Pluto, um, or else there's an out-of-print DVD that you can get pretty cheap. Uh, my next one was The New York Ripper from 1982, and that is on Tubi TV as well, and Canopy, uh, which is a great service if your library, if you have a library card, you can usually sign up for it, um, and then there's several different blue underground blu-rays you can get of the new york ripper and then black rain is on amazon prime and then uh it's got like a ten dollar blu-ray you could get 
And I do want to second your recommendation, your recommendation from earlier about Tubi. Uh, Tubi has by far and away the fewest ad breaks, and they also get some of the just most off the wall movie. There's movies on Tubi that I never thought I'd ever see, like movies I love and movies I have wanted to see for years that pop up on Tubi. Uh, and and so Tubi's actually one of my favorite go to streaming services. For my recommendations, Cobra is available for rent or purchase basically anywhere that movies are available for rent or purchase, but we talked about it a little bit. I do recommend the Scream Factory Blu-ray. It doesn't have the mythical work print on it, but it's still got a lot of good special features, and it's by far the best the movie has looked. The previous Blu-ray was not a great transfer. Uh... Blue Thunder is available right now on Amazon Prime, so no reason not to watch that one. And then you can also watch it anywhere or buy or rent it anywhere, uh, major services. It also does have a Blu-ray that is just a, you know, it's a few bucks, but uh, it's not anything that I think is on par with, say, a Shout Factory or Criterion release. Police Story, if you have either a Criterion Channel subscription or an HBO Max subscription, you can watch it for free on those services. You can also rent or buy it on Vudu and Apple TV. I also cannot recommend highly enough the Criterion Collection, Police Story, and Police Story 2 2-pack. Uh, that is the same transfer you would see on HBO Max or Criterion, but it has a grundle of special features as well. Uh, and again, once you buy the Blu-ray, you don't have to worry about it just going away like it might on uh, HBO Max or Criterion. So that's where you can find all of those. Again, make sure to recheck Just Watch if you're listening to this down the road. Anthony, man, thank you so much. Go ahead and plug some stuff. Let us know where people can find you. Uh, well, you can follow me on social media on Twitter or Instagram or letterboxed at AK Donnelly. That's A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. Um, and I do a, a podcast called Neon Badges where uh, I talk about cop movies and I tell the the making of story um, behind, you know, movies. I got one coming up from the 60s even. Uh, just did the Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 from the 70s, stuff from the 80s, 90s, uh, early 2000s. Um, but I am uh, exclusively on Patreon at patreon.com backslash neon badges. And it's only $1 per month. And uh, you get an episode every other week. So you're either going to get two or three episodes a month. Um, and, you know, I, I try to do as much research as humanly possible and tell every every detail, whether people want to know or not, about how this movie came to be and where these people came from. Um because that's what I love to do. And folks, I, I got to tell you, so I I told Anthony a while ago that uh, that I would support him as soon as he relaunched Neon Badges. And as soon as he did, I jumped on Patreon and it is one of the best dollars per month that you will spend. In addition to the research that he does, the production values on his podcast are just absolutely terrific. Uh, it, it puts... It doesn't put what Dana does to sh- to shame because he's a maestro at this stuff. It puts my half-assed attempts at producing a podcast to shame, though. So I really, really, uh, if you like what we do here, if you like the the podcast that Dana and I do, and especially if you like 
the deep dives that Dana does uh, when he goes deep with Jim Hempel or that on a single movie, you're going to love neon badges and it's going to be completely worth the $1. So uh, please, please, please check it out. Uh, all right. You can find me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter, where I blather on about things mostly Scott Adkins related. You can also find me at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where you'll find our continually updating list of all the movies we've recommended on this here 20th Century Movie Club. By the time you hear this, we will have crossed the 200 movie barrier. Luckily, we are not in danger of running out of movies, so we're going to keep on trucking. You can find Dana himself at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter. You can find the show at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter. Join our Facebook group, The Dana Buckler Show. Follow the show on Instagram at The Dana Buckler Show. Email us at thedanabucklershow at gmail.com. We, like Anthony, are a Patreon-supported podcast where supporting us gets you early access to episodes, bonus classic How Is This Movie episodes, as well as some occasional new goodies. Uh, you can listen to the show on every major podcast app of choice. Uh, if it's not on one, please let us know. We will make sure it's on there. We are happy to announce that we are now on Amazon Music as well. So that is yet another place you can find us. If you like us, leave us a review. If you don't want to remember all of that gobbledygook I just said, you can find all of these links at linktree slash Dana Buckler show. Finally, be sure to download the Dash Radio app and listen to Dana's new show, Hollywood Unfiltered, on the Fun for Life channel. It's a terrific show where he interviews Hollywood insiders, tells movie stories, and every once in a while, for reasons I can't fathom, he lets me come on and review movies. So uh, please download that app and check it out. Anthony King, thank you so much. I was so excited to have you on this show tonight. Uh, it was everything that I hoped it would be, especially because we now have Fulci on the list. So thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the opportunity, Michael. And uh, I have a feeling we're probably going to get you back on at some point down the road as well, because I want to get you on and have you not talk cop movies. I want you to talk like kids movies or something like that. I, I love them all. I'll, I'll talk, uh, you know, my favorite movie of all time is actually When Harry Met Sally. So if that tells you anything about me. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Just recommended that one a few episodes ago with Daniel Epler. So that one is on the list. That is Dana Buckler Show approved. All right, man, uh, I will reach out to you and we'll get you back on soon. Uh, so for Anthony King, for Dana Buckler, I am Mike Scott, and I hope everybody has a wonderful night. Thank you so much for listening.